much, ladies, and thank you, Brother Steve. And once again, glad to have some visitors with us this morning. I got to meet two of them before the service, uh, Jim and uh, Emmanuel. Emmanuel's a long way, long ways away from home, all the way from Ghana. <laughs> uh, glad to have you with us here today. Uh, where, was, where, where was Francis from? Maybe remember, was Francis from Ghana? Yeah, Francis. Uh, trying to think of what his last name was. He's on a prayer list anyway, uh, Francis. Uh, he was from Ghana originally, and uh, he was with us for quite a while while I was a student at UVM. And then uh, he got too big for his britches and he left. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Anyway, he's, uh, he's in Florida right now. He had, went on for uh, education in another institution and so on. So, but we really enjoyed having him. Uh, with us, and uh, every once in a while we get an email from him, and it's always good. He, he doesn't forget us, and uh, we haven't forgotten him either as well. Well, this week's message that uh, launches from last week, uh, although it was from Mark chapter 9, which is uh, also Steve had dealt with a couple weeks earlier, and uh, then I decided I'd step on his toes a little bit, and uh, we came from a little bit different perspective on that, and this week we're looking at the same uh, scenario as recorded by Matthew, in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at two basic subjects this morning, prayer and fasting. Uh, I, I don't know that a lot of God's people know a whole lot about what prayer really is all about, or the purpose of prayer, and the function of prayer, or fasting as well. And I know that uh, Christians aren't the only ones who fast. I, I remember back many years ago, I said many, many years ago, uh, in my mid-twenties when I was involved in martial arts, uh, the teacher was teaching, it was actually an English teacher, department head at Del Haas High School in Bristol, Pennsylvania. And the reason that uh, uh, he would fast, he would say, because uh, I need to get myself in shape mentally and emotionally and physically for the, for the martial arts training, but also for playing tennis. So he was using martial arts to keep him sharp and keen for, for, uh, for the uh, uh, tennis but he also used the fasting to keep himself physically where he should be. So I'm thinking maybe fasting is probably not a bad idea for diabetics, for sure. I, I, I know that I fast at least once every three to six months. And that's only like from 9 o'clock at night until about 10 o'clock in the morning when I get... Because you're supposed to fast for your, for your, um, for your A1C test and uh, somehow it never, it never helps me any, so I don't know. I maybe ought to fast a few days earlier than that, one thing for sure. But there are two important uh, um, practices within the Christian life, but I believe they're also the most misunderstood and the least practiced when it comes down to it. So the last several messages that have been integrally linked to why our faith is oftentimes weak rather than efficacious or able to accomplish what we had hoped that it would when, when we uttered the prayers or the petitions. The three destructive forces, or as someone may state, the three demons of faithlessness are discontentment, discouragement, and doubt, which we really basically dealt with last week. Now each experience lends itself to the next and renders the redeemed with a weak and anemic faith. And so we ask, and sometimes our prayers are really glib in nature, in character. Lord, i got a problem. And then we're thinking to ourselves, I really don't know if you're going to hear me. I don't know if you're going to do anything about it. But here it is anyway, Lord. I'm just going to, I'm going to share it with, along the line. Without the expectation that he's actually going to do anything to, to, to meet that need. But somehow we know that's the right thing that to, to do. It's the thing that we should do. So we go ahead and we do it in a perfunctory manner. And uh, yet we still have that, oh... Faithlessness. It's not that we don't have faith, otherwise you wouldn't have prayed, but it's, it's almost a question whether God is interested or not. 
And so, as I said, Brother Stephen, his series through Mark also touched on this topic using Mark 9, 14 through 29. And here in Matthew 17, verses 13 through 21, Matthew records this same record of the same event, and we will deal more specifically again with verse 21 in Matthew chapter 17, uh, when they questioned why they could not do what Christ did. And the Lord said, this kind goeth but uh, for prayer and, and uh, fasting. So prayer and fasting are two very important exercises of the faith, uh, which are perhaps the most misunderstood and the most neglected. The word fasting only appears 17 times in the Bible. Now, the word fast, if you can separate all the different ways it's used in the Bible, but fasting is only used 17 times, 10 times in the Old, 7 in the New Testament. So it is, it is important. And I believe if you go through the Old Testament, you'll find out that there are many of those who who, uh, who were men who, who prayed. I, I believe that Enoch, even though we don't know much, I just believe because of his relationship with the walk and the purpose of fasting that probably he fasted quite a bit. Because he had this relationship with God that the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and was not because God translated him, if you read it in the book of Hebrews. God took him and brought him home. Not as punishment, but... He was thinking down, he said, listen, our fellowship is so sweet, I want you to come up here with me. And so he translated, literally took Enoch up to be with him. And of course, if we go down through uh, some of these other giants of the faith in the Old Testament, they were prayer warriors who also understood the necessary exercising of fasting. Moses fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, Queen Esther fasted. If you remember, uh, she got her uncle uh, uh, Mordecai and said, listen, get all the Jews together throughout the empire and and have them fast because she was going to go into the king and present her petition before the king because Haman had decided he was going to uh, have all the Jews throughout all the kingdom of, uh, of Artaxerxes going to have them killed. And so, of course, Mordecai found out, told it to Esther. Esther eventually tells the king, and you know how that went. But fasting was important. She trusted in the fact that others would fast uh, for that day or so before she went to the king because if anybody walked in before the king without being without being announced or without without being um, sought to come, then they would be killed probably by the guards. They would just figure that the king didn't call you, you're on a bad mission, you know, you're done. One thing or another. And so even Anna the prophetess fasted and Jesus fasted and the apostle Paul fasted as well. You know, we look at the Apostle Paul, and, and we'd like to be able to have, have the ministry that the Apostle Paul had. The question is whether or not we're willing to do what he did to, atti- to attain to that and to achieve that. And prayer was really important because he mentions prayer so often in his epistles, but he also uh, mentions fasting as well. And so I believe he was a man who fasted. I mean, what else are you going to do when you're, when you're three days and three nights in the deep? You're floating on a board from a shipwreck and you're out in the Mediterranean Sea. What are you going to do? You're going to fast. Amen? You might as well say, Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast until somebody finally comes and gets me here. But fasting is an important practice, but it has to be used rightly and has to be used wisely. So we would do well to understand what prayer and fasting are and what prayer and fasting are not and what we can expect to accomplish when either and or both are being exercised. Now, I have people come to me. And they are serious in enlisting me in their prayer request over or for something in their lives. And, and I'm glad to do so. But if enlisting me is the idea that I have, as I've heard others say, I'm asking you because you have a closer walk with God. I'm thinking to myself, okay, you don't know that. It's a supposition. I should, I mean, the amount of time you study and the many times you prepare the word, word of God and you're reading it and you're studying it and all the classes you take and the courses you take along the way, uh, you do develop. But, you know, it's easy to get away from the Lord. 
It's easy to do in the flesh what should be done in the spirit. And I am overall convinced that at least that when people get experience burnout, it's because they were doing in the flesh what they should have been doing in the spirit. And unfortunately, preachers burn out. Missionaries burn out. Evangelists burn out. Because it's easy, once again, to get into a cycle where you're depending more on your ability to do what God's called you to do than to allow the Holy Spirit of God to give you the energy, the insight, and the direction along the way. But I, I have, I, I, it's almost as if they, um, uh, I don't want to say this. I know that they have in their mind the idea that by virtue of my place as a pastor, I have something that they don't have or are more likely, uh, not likely to have in a relationship with God. And that's sad. Think about it. I want you to think about it. That's sad. Why should I have a closer walk with God than you do? Why should I be experiencing a close walk with God and you having an aloof one? I mean, when the disciples uh, scattered the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says that Peter followed from afar. And I'm convinced that a lot of Christians are following from afar. They're not really reading the Bibles. They're not really meditating in the Bibles. They're not really attending church. They're not really serving the Lord in, in, a real, in any real serious capacity. And so it's sad that when we consider that being close to God is never about what one does or does not do for a living, but a matter of choice, a daily, even a moment-by-moment uh, choice that we make. What's the first thing you think of when you get up in the morning? Where's that coffee pot? Where's, it? where's, it? where's, my, where's my favorite coffee cup? <laughs> Back in Bible college, I remember uh, Brother Mangus. He said, when I get out of bed first thing in the morning, he said, I sit up. I put my Bible on the floor and I put my feet on my Bible and I say, here I stand. I stand on the Word of God. His first thoughts of the day was he was going to stand on the Word of God, meaning I'm going to stand for God in all that I do throughout the day. Lord, won't you guide, won't you direct as we look to the message this morning, this kind. Lord, it is important that we grasp the idea and the concept, Lord, that, so that we don't uh, misuse it and abuse it. And Lord, oftentimes we use prayer to get what we want. Lord, as your half-brother James said, that we, we have not because we ask not, and we have not because we ask amiss, to consume it upon our lusts, our desires. So Lord, won't you guide and direct so that we might learn some things, that we might apply some things to our lives, that our prayer lives will become more, more uh, efficacious, more effective, that our, that our fasting would be on, on, uh, on and purpose and, and designed with a purpose in mind uh, so that, Lord, uh, the results that you want for our fasting is the blessing behind it all. So, Lord, won't you guide and direct? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the very first point, there's only two points this morning, the very long ones, is the command. It's the command to pray. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, and it's a hard verse, I think, for a lot of Christians to comprehend. But there's a lot of imperatives that are written there in, uh, in chapter 5, beginning around about verse uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. And one of those is in verse 17, and it says, pray without what? Pray without ceasing. So the verb pray is in the imperative, which means it is a command for us to do. Not a suggestion, not a nice, fluffy, puffy little suggestion that you do. You, you pray without ceasing. Yeah, but preacher, I have to, have to think of some other things along the way. You can still be in a prayerful attitude throughout your day. 
The idea of without ceasing is to be continuous or without intermission. So that you are going to see things that I'm not going to see. And maybe someone has fallen or maybe an accident you just went on by. And maybe someone in your family or someone in your neighborhood and maybe somebody at work who needs a prayer need. And so you're going to lift them up before the Lord. You're going to wait until your prayer time. I mean, many people have a prayer time. Some have a prayer closet. Some pray in the morning. Some pray at noontime. Some pray at supper time. That's what Daniel did. But nonetheless, they pray. This means that you're, you're willing and ready to pray. You don't have to take a, a whole long list there and say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and list all those things you want God to forgive you so you, get, so you can get his ear, so to speak. But it's the idea that we are walking the walk that God's called us to walk so that we are ready ambassadors of prayer. Praying for others around us. Maybe it's praying for us. Say, Lord, I, I need to know how to respond to this. Maybe it's something, something that somebody said to you at work. Maybe it's something that a family member said to you. If you have unsaved family members and you try to share the gospel of Christ with them, they probably have a lot of things to say about you and a lot of things to say behind your back. <laughs> but you do it anyway. And how do you handle those things? Well, while it, seems, while it seems impossible, the reality is that we carry a lot of things on our minds, don't we? There's a lot of things that kind of race through our minds. I know that any trip we're on, the wife will always ask me, she says, so what are you thinking about right now? Well, a lot of times I, I'm thinking about a message, and, 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 and the pastor's putting a message together. He wants to make sure that everything is doctrinally correct, that I'm, not, that I'm not negating a doctrine over here because I'm preaching a doctrine errantly over here. And so the idea is, how does this fit together? It was something I was thinking of just even yesterday. I said, boy, if I went down that road there, then that, uh, that's not going to work very well because it's going to violate this portion of Scripture over here. So it's not just the idea of sitting down there and writing out whatever comes on your mind, whatever comes on your heart. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of thinking, a lot of meditation, a lot of say, Lord, how does this fit in? If it doesn't fit in, then Lord, remove it, uh, whatever. So there is that constant, continual prayer. Even when we're driving, they'll be hearing a message on, a, on, on, on the uh, Christian radio station or something like that. Then it may bring a thought and an idea that you pray about. And so you're always constantly meditating and thinking on those things of the Lord. Now, it isn't that I don't think of other things. Uh, I do remember my wife's birthday. I do remember our anniversary and things of that nature there. But uh, the truth of the matter is, there just we, we have a lot of things on our mind, don't we? Well, why can't God be one of those? Why can't prayer be one of those things that's on our mind so that it comes instantly? Not one of those, oh, I should have prayed about that. But the fact is that, Lord, thank you for reminding me to pray right now. Now, it doesn't mean you have to get on your knees in public and fold your hands and so on. I mean, you can be driving down the road and you can see something and you can be praying. Lift that situation, that set of circumstances up before the Lord. So being in a state of prayer is being mindful of our relationship with God and seeking his guidance as we deal with a mindful of thoughts, concerns, and worries that we have. Now I'm sure Pat is worried about Amanda tomorrow. And she's going to worry until she holds that little bundle. Do they know what it is? Do they know what gender it is? Oh, it's a little girl. Until you hold that little girl uh, in her arms. But you're going to pray, and you're going to pray. Even when I had kids back years ago, when they were going off and driving between here and Pensacola Christian College, we would pray with them before they go. And we'd pray as it came to our minds, wherever they were in the road. Now we have 360. Now we know where they are. We know where they shouldn't be. <laughs> but we know where they should be, and so on. And so we have that idea, but I came to, the, to, a, to an agreement with myself and the Lord, I believe, and that was that, Lord, I pray for these kids. 
I'm not going to continue to nag you and beg you to do you love them and you love them more than I could possibly love them. You're going to do what's right by them. And I'd go about my business and wait till the phone call that when they got to whatever the destination was, making it a two-day trip or so on. But there has to come a point in time we say, I give these things over to the Lord. And then we want to take them back. We give them to the Lord. Give them to him. Don't be, when I grew up there was a, there was a saying, don't be an Indian giver. To give something and then take it back. So, bringing our petitions before him and allowing him to guide us in, direct, in, in directing us in how best to handle the, the various issues in our life. And sometimes we may have to pray a long time. My mom, as you've heard me say before, she prayed 45 to 50 years for my dad to get saved. And he finally did get saved. But I think all those years he lost. And my mother lost in having that relationship of having a, a born-again Bible-believing husband. He was a good husband. He was a good dad. But there wasn't that other level of relationship of coming to church and fellowshipping, worshiping together and reading and so on. And so she prayed for many years. And because we prayed also for my dad's salvation. And now hopefully we get to see my brother-in-law in, -law in uh, uh, about mid-September when we go down to visit my sister. And haven't seen her in a while. But he's not saved. And... Um, have uh, an open door to be able to talk to him because uh, he's not in good health right now and it doesn't really look good. Doesn't look good. But he's been quite resistant uh, over the years to any, any of the family members who would share the gospel with him. But we pray and he's on our prayer list every Wednesday night. And whenever he comes to our mind, he's on our prayer. He's on our mind as well. So we tend to have this idea that praying is about a set time in a set place. Well, it's good to do so anytime is a good time to talk with the Lord our God. Amen? Anytime is a good time. However, we can and should uh, talk multiple times throughout the day with the Lord. Multiple times. Imagine if you can that we are on the Lord's mind every day. Amen? Do you know that? You're on the Lord's mind every day? Every day. All day long you're on his mind. Oh, come on, now, preacher. How do you know that? Because he said so. And you want to call him a liar? Don't stand next to me. I, I don't like lightning bolts that close. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. Now, this is where the Lord has prayed for you and me. I'll get there. So, looking in, in John 17, now, verses 1 through 9 are, are important in there. One more page, one more page. And it says there, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee there uh, before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they are, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known all they they now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me 
are thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And so he is praying not only here in this instance, but he prays for us every day. He lifts us up before the Father. And the word keep, which you'd find in verse 15 of John chapter 17, is strongly suggestive of one who is attentive. One who watches over, and, and I've already turned, and I shouldn't have turned. So in John chapter 17, looking at verse, uh, as I said, 15. Verse 15 says here, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Now, again, that word keep usually means to watch over. It means to keep secure. Uh, in this uh, particular instance, I, I, I believe that it is strongly suggestive uh, of one who is attentively watching. And I can't help but think of a mother who is attentive watching over their children, keeping a watchful eye to make sure they don't get into it, especially when, they're, when, when they begin to crawl. That's their world, about two foot off the floor. That's their world. And they want to touch, eat, ingest everything and anything that's in that range. And so as a parent, you've got to be attentive. First of all, you've got to make sure there's nothing that can harm them, and then you've got to make sure they don't harm themselves. And so you're attentive. You don't decide to go take a nap and let them wander around the house. Now, when our kids were growing up, they knew what a playpen was. Heavens, it's a murgatroyd. If you put a child in a playpen today, it's like it's locked them in jail. <laughs> but you could put them in a playpen and you could relax for a little bit. But if they weren't in that playpen, then you made sure that you were just that much more attentive. So we live in a fallen world, and we therefore have more to pray about. We have more to pray for, pray for. Uh, more reasons to be in a continual state of prayer, if not for our own testimony. Also for family, friends, and lost souls around us, praying always for opportunities to share the hope of the gospel unto salvation or in counseling. Listen, man, man, when you get it right and your wives, you get it right and you've got a marriage that's right with God and you did it because you did it the biblical way, then you can lead other couples who are having marital problems and you can say, this is what works. We found this works. We found it in the scripture and it works. And it does. But we have to live it. We have to love it. We have to do it. So that others can see that we've got something they don't have. We've got a relationship with, a, with our spouse that maybe they don't have. Maybe they don't see. So the disciples of Jesus wanted a more effective prayer life. And so they asked him to teach them. And that was, again, uh, in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and on. So they observed that the disciples, first of all, they observed that Jesus had prayed. And they wanted to be effective like Jesus was. And they even asked you to teach us to pray, even as John, meaning John the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. So they must have felt that their prayers or their prayer life was inadequate, and they wanted to have some teeth. They wanted to be able to have some power in their prayer life. Lord, teach us to pray. <laughs> 
Now, what you would find in Luke chapter 1 through verse 6 or 7 is not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17. This is a lesson on how we should pray. And it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so Jesus gave them the elements that should be in one's prayer life, things such as praise of our Heavenly Father. How many of you are, are not very happy that you're saved? Nobody? You're pretty, you're pretty excited about being saved this morning? Uh, you're, you're pretty happy that you got a ticket, you're going to heaven, you know you're going to heaven when you die? Get all taken care of. Do you tell the Lord? Do you tell him, Lord, I rejoice in the salvation you have given to me. Are you thanking God for his grace that made it possible? Are you thanking God for his love that allowed the Lord to go to the cross to give his life, to shed his blood so that we could have a means of being saved? I mean, what, what do you thank the Father for? What do you thank our Heavenly Father for? What do you thank the Lord for? How would you like to be the Holy Spirit and have to live in some of you people? <laughs> I'm not so sure that if I was the Holy Spirit, I want to live within me. But you get the point there. Have you thanked the Holy Spirit for the guidance and the direction that he gives to us? I hope so. But then there's so many other things to be thankful for. But he goes on there, and, and uh, always seeking to walk in his kingdom, uh, he will to do his will rather than that will. That his, will may, that his will in heaven may be done on earth. Or on earth as it, as, as it is in heaven. I got backwards there. But the idea, do you want God's will here to be the same as it is in heaven? You may not like some of the things that God has in his will for your life. You may not like it. At least the flesh won't. But when you surrender, you're going to love it. Because... The three aspects of God's will is found in Romans chapter 12 is it's good, acceptable, and what's the other one? Perfect, perfect, or mature. That's where God's will. If you're not in God's will, then you're going to experience some of those things some of the time along the way. But also being a part of that is that being thankful for the Lord, his love, his salvation, his provisions, confessing our sin and always ready to forgive those who sin against us. Don't go and say, Lord, forgive me for what I just did to you, knowing that you've got odd against someone else who you're unwilling to forgive. That's not going to fly with the Lord, and it doesn't. Also, to keep us vigilant against sin in our lives, Satan in our flesh. Lord, make those hairs stand up in the back of my neck. When, when, when sin is coming after me and, and I don't quite recognize it and I don't see it, Lord, send a warning. Make my hair stand on end. Amen. I, I, I want that tingly sensation that says, this is not good. Because, Lord, I want, to, I, want to, I want to sense the peace that passes understanding. Because I've made the right choice and I've made the right decision. Or because I fled from sin. So when we are praying about the myriad of things that we face every day, and we are going to find that there are some things that require more prayer, a longer season of prayer, in some cases, and in some cases, it's going to require us to do some fasting. Now, there are some issues that will come into our lives that a simple prayer is not sufficient. 
we will have to dedicate more time searching the will and the desire of God. When we first got into my first year in Bible college, the wife had, uh, the year prior to that, she'd gotten pregnant, and it was a, uh, um, what do they call it? Anyway, anyway, uh, it, it didn't come to term, obviously. And so the doctor never really impressed upon us that she shouldn't get pregnant for at least over a year. So here we are in our first year of Bible college, and she's pregnant. And in order to be able to keep our youngest son, that meant she had to be bedridden quite a bit of time. You don't think there was a lot of prayer? For nine months, there was a lot of prayer. <laughs> and uh, for her health as well. But it means uh, there was a time at that time when you can get along with the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand this. You brought us all the way down here, my wife and four kids, and to have her lose her life with cancer. But I don't understand it. But it was a growing time of faith. It was a time of trusting God. That God had a purpose and God had a plan for all of it. And so there are just some things that requires just a little bit more prayer. And this usually is where fasting becomes very, very important, which brings us to the second point, shorter than the first. That is the counsel that Jesus gave to his disciples. Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. There were just some things in the life of a believer that God wants us to deal with because it's, a, it's an important learning curve for us. Now, here's an important point to make, that prayer and fasting are about developing a relationship. Men, we cannot develop a relationship with our wives if we don't talk with them. Grunts and groans are not sufficient. They may have worked in caveman days, not that there ever was a caveman day, but it won't work in this day and age. And I'm going to get reminded of that every time she wants to talk. <laughs> but it's true. Uh, in Romans, it does talk. In Romans chapter 8, gives us the idea that there are sometimes we come into our prayer closet and we don't know what to say. We don't really know how to address it. We don't know how to express it. And all we can do is just moan and groan. Lord, I'm at a loss for words. Lord, I'm, 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 at a, I'm at a loss to understand this. And then the Holy Spirit of God takes over. I don't have to speak in tongues because I got the Holy Spirit to take up my weaknesses, my inability to explain it, to express, he can do that for me. And so James writes in his epistle in James chapter 5, verse 16b, says the effectual fervent prayer of a what? Righteous man does what? Availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Note the word righteous man in chapter 5, verse 16. It means that the heart of that man is, in keep, is, is keeping the commands of God. I'm walking without reproach in the presence of the Lord. I am walking in obedience. I am doing what God want, would have me to do in the way that God would have me to do it. I would be a righteous man in the eyes of God. 
Now the word avail means to have power. So you look at that, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avail as much because he has power. So the closer you get to the Lord, the more power you have. Now, that's an ongoing day-by-day fellowship and relationship with the Lord. This is not one of those on again, off again, Lord, uh, I've been so busy the last few days, I haven't had time to pray. I'll catch up with you, Lord, in a little bit. From our text in Matthew 10, verse 1, and in Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, the disciples of Jesus were given power over unclean or foul spirits. He said, I'm giving you power, go out there and, 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 and do the ministry. Now, whether as recorded in Matthew 17 or Mark 9, the unclean spirit that was in this young man appears to have been a case that was too hard for them. And you know, the devil is going to try his best to bring things into our lives that's too hard for us. Things that are more difficult for us. These are things that we just can't slough off with. I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep prayer. Not going to work. It means we're going to have to take and get serious about the problem or the issue at hand. It means we're going to have to spend some time in prayer. And it may mean that we even have to fast. And to spend that time that we would normally be eating or doing something else that we give it up and say, you know, for this couple of days. I remember, as I said, uh, that our, our, our sensei, our instructor in the martial arts, uh, Lou Baldino, he, uh, he fasted. It was a water fast. And he would fast for a whole week or so just to be able to get his body to that point where it was no longer crying out, I need that sugar, I need that drink, I need this and that, all those kind of things. It was the idea of bringing our body to a place where the, where the flesh and our, and our mindset isn't screaming out for all the things, our favorite show or our favorite game or our favorite sport or whatever it is that we are willing to set those things aside and give that time, time that we can come before the Lord and just meditate. And just pray. And sometimes just sit there and shut up and listen. Amen. Because if you've been reading the scripture, you've been memorizing the scripture, he will use that to speak to you in your hearts and your minds. So Jesus allowed this to happen for a couple of reasons. Number one, a casual relationship with the Lord is insufficient to conquer the hard things in life that we will face. Such as our our, our faith simply hasn't matured or grown. Now, the disciples had gone forth earlier and accomplished great things that had increased their faith. But what they were facing there was harder than what they had accomplished before when Jesus wasn't in their presence. But now that Jesus is in their presence, he is revealing that there is something that we need to be very, very close to Jesus about. No sin but being a righteous man or a righteous woman. So, had they gotten closer to God for the experiences when Jesus sent them out? Absolutely. When we walk with the Lord, we will experience increases in our faith that a casual walk will never provide. And unfortunately, the casual walk that many have is why they will come to the preacher, or maybe the people in the church that they know who had that walk with God. Would you pray? I'm not willing to go that extra mile, but you have gone that extra mile. Would you pray? (laughs) And we're glad to do that. But folks, you have the same power available to you in your walk with Christ that the preacher has. 
Amen? God makes it available to you. But also he did what he did. It was to glorify himself so that men would be drawn to him. That many times he is the focal point of our prayer. He is a focal point of our faith in prayer as well. So fasting is not an exercise in which we force God to move on our behalf. Prayer is about building a relationship with the Lord our God. Fasting is about developing a seriously deep relationship with the Lord our God. And when we get into that deep relationship, it's amazing how the will of God becomes our will. God's understanding becomes our understanding. Because in fasting, we have this idea, I'm going to impress upon God what I want. I'm going to impress upon God my will. I'm going to impress upon God the direction I want him to take. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. It's you and I getting so close to God that we become overwhelmed with what God's desire, what God's will is in that fasting experience. And so that when we are finished the fast, we begin to see things happen and things move in a direction that God would have had it to move. To be honest with you folks, many times we don't get it right. But you can always be rest assured that God gets it right every time. So it is about humbling, the humbling of our soul. It is about reigning in the thought life by mortifying the unhealthy thoughts that we have in our lives. Usually it is giving up meals such as a meal a day, perhaps a week or so. Moses fasted for 40 days. Christ for 40 days and nights in the wilderness. Others fasted for quite lengths of times as well. But usually it is giving up meals and so. The goal is not to force God to do what we want but to remove from our lives direct distractions so as we do and so that as we do we can get closer to him and discover his will and his desire in the issue or issues at hand so fasting is about removing distractions from our lives so we can concentrate on the lord through unhindered meditation it's amazing by the second time the second day goes around my stomach's not gurgling and it's not murmuring and it's not complaining now, water fast is important. It's important to have water. But it might surprise all of us how, how many meals we can go without in a row. Amen. And so it's about removing distractions from our lives, from our thought life, and things of the flesh. It's mortifying the flesh, if you will. And uh, it is here that we find the faith the clarity and the power to do as God would have us to do in devotion to him, be it for ourselves or for others that we're fasting for. So fasting is then a good thing when done in a right way for all the right reasons. We do, uh, we do not do it to be seen of man according to him. Just mark down the scriptures, we don't have time. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, the Lord rebuked the Sadducees and Pharisees for praying in public. So that it can be seen of men and receive praise of men. It's not to be done as a ritual, according to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 17. Not to be done as a ritual. This is something that is done privately. You go into your closet and you, 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 don't, you don't tell everybody. Now, if you're married, you talk to your spouse. And you talk to them and you say, I, I really feel that we need to fast. Or maybe I need to fast. And so, with consent, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
It says uh, that, if a, that if a spouse, a mate, or a partner there, if, if, we, uh, if we feel we need to fast, that we, we need to talk to our spouse, get permission, and then fast, but not to the point of, of causing strife within the marriage itself because of fasting too long. And so, again, read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 through, I think, probably within the first five verses. So, thirdly, as we close, certainly not without beginning with true repentance. And I do want to read this. Isaiah 53. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. I'm sorry, I said Isaiah 53, I mean Isaiah 58. And in Isaiah chapter 58, beginning of verse 3, it said, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. It is such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. Now, this is not about flagellation, of beating yourself or anything of that nature there, but it's the idea is to bring those emotional desires or the flesh, fleshy desires in, in, into control. And that can be a battle for all of us, for sure. But he goes on and says, and, and just, and, um, so it, it is to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes unto him. Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor uh, that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Fasting is serious business, not to be taken lightly, not to be entered into lightly, but it's an important time. Even seeking the Lord, say, Lord, do I need to fast on this? And then if you get a positive answer, allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to guide you in that process. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together, gathered in the house of the Lord. And Lord, this is this is a very important uh, message for sure. And, and Lord, to, to realize that there are some things that we're going to face in this life as Christians that are beyond ourselves. Lord, it's even beyond the, 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 the uh, level of faith that we've developed. And Lord, our, our faith needs to move to, to higher levels, higher levels of practice higher levels of understanding, higher levels of execution. And Lord, fasting is one way of getting that done. But Lord, may we first and foremost understand the, the seriousness of a regular prayer life. To pray without, without faith, to pray with, with, without wavering in our faith. So that Lord, we might have that confidence that when we lift up a name or we lift up a set of circumstances before you Lord that we don't have to beg you but Lord that you will mindfully take care of it in your time and in your way and so Lord help us to understand your desire 
to be really close to us. And that, Lord, there's no easy way. There is no easy way to get close to you without spending some time, effort, and energy to do so. But, Lord, the dividends, whoa. Lord, they're literally out of this world. So, Lord, thank you for providing this particular avenue to be able to grow really, really close, to have a deep and abiding relationship with you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And you say, preacher, pray for me this morning. I don't think I've ever really fasted in my life. Maybe you have. Maybe it didn't work out. And maybe it's because you didn't know why. And you say this morning, preacher, pray for me today. I really do. I, I do want that deep, deep relationship with the Lord. And I know that it begins in my prayer life. And that I realize that fasting is not some sort of a magic wand that I can shake it so, so that God will change somebody or something to make my life a little easier. That fasting is getting a hold of the mind and the heart of God and his will becoming your will. Preacher, would you pray for me in closing today? Yes. I see hands being raised here and there. Yes. At home, listen, folks, you can make the same choice, the same decisions right there. And maybe at this point you're saying, Preacher, I don't even know if I've got a home in heaven. If I were to die right now, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I'm hoping I'm going to go to heaven. Why would you hope when God has said that you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt? Really, you can know? You can absolutely. Uh, John wrote in his epistle, John chapter 5, verse 15, these things I've written unto you that you may know. And know believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that he died for you. So that you would not have to remain separated from God. But could become a part of the family of God. Preacher, pray for this one. I have no idea where I want to spend eternity. But I want my eyes to be open. I want my dullness to be, uh, to be removed so I can hear what God has to say. Preacher, would you pray for me? Well, Father, again, we thank you for this time that we could be together, gathered around the house of the Lord. And, Father, we pray that you will be with us as we come together again tonight. But, Lord, for all of us this morning, Lord, there should be a desire within our hearts to have a deeper walk, a deeper relationship. And, Lord, we certainly pray that that will be our desire when we leave this place today and until you come and gather us unto yourself. So, Lord, bring, bring forth your perfect will, your perfect way in our lives and our hearts, and we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. Now, Father, won't you dismiss us with thy blessings in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said, Amen.